Amen. Will you stand with me, please? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. My subject for you to consider today is simply be called the author. The author. God bless you. You may be seated. There are so many strange things in the Bible. Things that I could see just looking at them from the outside. They, they don't make sense. I'm here today to try and appeal to you to gain a new appreciation of the word. Let me read to you a strange thing. Matthew chapter 8 and verse 4. Jesus saith unto him, See thou tell no man, but go thy way, show thyself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. This is the first Israelite that's ever been healed of leprosy. I don't suppose many of you here have ever come in contact with leprosy. Um, I did in India several years ago. I never forgot it. It wasn't just how disfigured the people were. It was the smell. It attacks the extremities, the furthest places from your heart. Those are the first things to go. Fingers, toes, lobes of your ears, the end of your nose. It's a, it's a horrible, horrible, horrible disease. There was a man in the Old Testament by the name of Naaman. He was a Syrian general. This is the guy that dipped in the Jordan seven times and was restored. But he's a Syrian. This is the first what we would call a Jew that had ever been healed of leprosy. So I try to see what happened, you know. Jesus heals this guy and, and then does something totally at odds with the religious world today. Don't tell anybody what I just did for you. <laughs> I, with all of the means and all the digital toys that we have today and with all these self-serving, whatever, mercenary prophets that would love to get a lot of mileage out of something like this, this wouldn't have stayed quiet for long. There were people, the Bible said, that ignorantly and unwisely told, but this guy apparently didn't. If you've got leprosy, you can't go to church. <clears throat> Thank God we can bring our sicknesses to church. Wow. Uh, you can bring cancer to church. You can bring leukemia to church. You can bring the virus to church. 
coronavirus. You know what the word corona, you know where corona comes from? Crown. So when you say coronavirus, you're talking about the king of viruses. But when the king of viruses meets the king of kings, that's a whole different deal. Whole different deal. Thank God we don't serve a Lord who practices social distancing. Because he wants to get close to us. He wants to get close to us. And um, man, you go to church with leprosy, they're going to rock you to sleep and it's big rocks. <laughs> and uh, this guy goes back to church and I, the, the pastor is really upset. What are you doing here? And he starts going, eeny, meeny, miny, mo. One, two, three, four, five. Where'd you get those? Last time I saw you, that was a hole in the front of your head. Just bloody, nasty stubs on the, on the end of your arms. Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth healed me. You, you mean the phony, the fake from Nazareth? Well, whatever. All I know is I was dying and now I'm, I'm healed. <clears throat> and he told me I'm supposed to tell you something. Oh, really? What does that phony from Nazareth have to say to me? He said that now that I'm healed, you're supposed to offer the gift that Moses commanded. And I see a preacher with consternation and just puzzlement on his face wondering what in the world is he talking about and then he remembered his old bible school notes and uh, see nobody especially a priest has ever had to do this before this thing's been sitting in the bible for hundreds of years never needed it so he goes back you got to go back to Leviticus chapter 14. I'll read it for you. This shall be the law of the leper. In the day of his cleansing, he shall be brought unto the priest. The priest shall go forth out of the camp and the priest shall look and behold, if the plague of leprosy be healed in the leper, then shall the priest command to take for him that is to be cleansed, two birds, alive and clean, cedar wood, scarlet, hyssop. The priest shall command that one of the birds be killed in an earthen vessel over running water. As for the living bird, he shall take it and the cedar wood and the scarlet and the hyssop and shall dip them and the living bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the running water. And he shall sprinkle upon him that is to be cleansed from the leprosy seven times pronounce him clean and shall let the living bird loose into the open field. So I'm watching this pastor click off this laundry list of things he's going to need. Got to get two birds. I got to get a clay jar. <clears throat> going to need a scarlet cord. Going to need a friend to hold the pot over the running water. I need a sprig of hyssop. <clears throat> okay. I think I got it figured out. It is very complicated. 
It's a very strange thing in the Bible. People read that and go, what, what, what does that mean? What does that mean? I want to talk to you today about the author. 66 books that we call the Bible. Accumulated over 2,000 years by more than 40 different writers into one integrated message from the author. 66 books written over thousands of years and yet what I want to get across to you is the great discovery that every detail has been placed in those pages deliberately. Anticipated by divine design. This is not 66 individual books, but rather one book written by one author, integrated from beginning to end. For years, I have borrowed a statement. I don't know who it's attributed to, but it says the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. But it's greater than that. Every number, the name of every place, every subtlety, even the arrangement of the letters is designed. The implications of that are staggering. Because it means that the design had to come from outside of time. Albert Einstein, they asked him one time, is, is, is there something greater, greater than time? And he said, speed. They didn't understand what he meant, but he ultimately proved that if you could travel at the speed of light, time would not affect you. Light travels 186,000 miles per second. Like most guys, I, I enjoy reading about weapons, guns, military stuff. I was fascinated, as you probably assumed, uh, with submarines for such a long time. I'm fascinated right now with what's called hypersonic missiles. Not supersonic, hypersonic. When a pilot flies what we would call a supersonic jet fighter and he makes a turn, he experiences something called G-force. G is just a short term for gravity. And when you make a quick turn at high rates of speed, then you are subjected to a multiple of gravitational pulls on your body. Three G's, four G's, five G's. It can, dis, it can distort your face. It's, it's, uh, they figure that the, the maximum that uh, a pilot can endure is somewhere between four and five G's. They're working right now. There are hypersonic missiles. Those have already been built. Um, they're working on hypersonic planes. Planes that would subject a pilot to eight, nine, even 10 Gs. If you've ever seen one of these pilots, they have this mottled green 
coverall thing on it, but it's not just something you buy down at Walmart. It has tubes in it, hollow, very specifically sewn, so that when a pilot makes a turn and is subjected to massive amounts of gravitational pull, the blood can literally suck out of your brain and go into your legs and into your abdomen. So these suits are designed with tunnels of air and this air compresses and it keeps the blood to the brain so that the pilot won't pass out. They're working on going to Mars. I'm sure they'll attempt that one time. I'm talking way beyond Mars here. It would take months to go to Mars. I'm talking about light years. See, Einstein proved that if if I wanted to go to some star 50 light years away and it was capable of designing some type of thing that could repel gravitation forces and I'd make that trip, come back. When I got back, everybody that was alive when I left would be dead. And I would get off of a plane and not look like I had aged one day because time is affected by speed. And if you could travel at the speed of light, it wouldn't affect you. This is what makes the Lord so amazing because he refers to himself as the I am. (laughs) One time he said, I was, I am, I will be. But he told Moses, this is what you tell Pharaoh. I am sent you. God just am. Okay. He doesn't go anywhere. He's just there. That's why he's timeless. Because he's faster than anything that you and I could ever wrap our brain around. And this word that we have, the only way it could have been orchestrated was that someone had to live outside of time. Had to be able to see hundreds hundreds and hundreds of years into the future and call things that weren't as though they were. It's the only way it's possible. I've been fascinated for years with Thomas Jefferson. Jefferson had a bad hand dealt to him when he was a very young man. He was in his 30s. His wife died. She made him promise on her deathbed that he would never remarry. He agreed. Very stingy of his wife to do something like that. I tell Renee, you know, when I die and you get remarried, and she goes, (laughs) she said, I don't even have you house broke yet, Harold. If you think I'm going to spend another 40 years training another man, you're out of your mind. And then she smiles and she says, you're worth a lot of money dead, Harold. You're not, 
worth a lot of money alive, but when you die, I'm going to have a great time on your life insurance. <laughs> I told her, well, if any boy ever tries to date you and gives you a kiss at the door, this is my revenge from the grave. I want you to look at him and say, that was nice, but Harold kissed better than that. <laughs> Jefferson had a slave girl named Sally Hemings. He had children by her. This is not myth and rumor. This has been proven with DNA. When John Adams went to Paris to meet Jefferson and Franklin, Adams wrote in his journal how strange it was that everywhere that Jefferson went, he had this slave by the name of Bob Hemings. They had no idea that was his son. That was his son. Has nothing to do with my message, but uh, if you want just an interesting little homework assignment, do some study about the, the campaign between John Adams, who was our second president, and Jefferson, the third president, and see what they accused each other of. I promise you, uh, the Donald has nothing on these guys. This old political stuff has been going on for a long time, and it's always been mean, and it's, it's a full contact sport. I assume, because of the guilt that he dealt with, Jefferson created his own Bible. You can still buy it. It's now it's called the Reader's Digest Bible. Uh, Jefferson didn't want any, he hated any mention of judgment or hell. Unfortunately, 99% of what we know about hell came from Jesus. He tore all that out. Uh, he, he kept some Psalms, some Proverbs, a couple of the parables, made his own Bible. Literally, it's, it's there. Monticello, he stitched it together. It was his Bible. I, I, uh, I, on that one point, I agree with the third president. I think there is a page we should tear out of the Bible. That page between the last chapter of Malachi and the first chapter of Matthew. Just tear it out. Because it just makes this big distinction. Here's the Old Testament. Here's the New Testament. It's one story, ladies and gentlemen. It's one book. One author. Used 40 writers to orchestrate this amazing Bible. I read years ago. It's an acronym. B-I-B-L-E. Basic Instructions Before Leaving Earth. I'll give you an example from another strange incident to me. It's in Numbers 21. God has given Israel an, a great victory over what were known as the Canaanites. The victorious army is on their way north towards a place called Edom. And they start complaining about the manna that is miraculously given to them six days every week. They're hot, they're running low on water, and they start crying. We're going to die in this desert. 
would to God we'd be back in Egypt with the garlics, leeks, and onions. You go outside of this door. On either side of that door, there's a big glass bowl. It's that big around. Every Sunday, we fill them suckers up with breath mints. You come by here this evening, them bowls are going to be empty. We either got a lot of people that like breath mints in this church, or we got a serious halitosis demon. Bad breath. Can you imagine? That's all they remember. Garlics, leeks, and that. They don't remember the bad breath. Boy, I sure would like to have some of that garlic. Sure would like to have some of those onions. As a result of their complaining, there's four times they complained. I don't have time to get sidetracked with that. As a result of their complaining, it said God sent snakes, vipers, venomous things, bit these dudes and they're dying fast. So the people, of course, say maybe God's trying to talk to us. They repent. And they ask Moses to pray for them. When he does, God gives Moses a very curious set of instructions. He said, I want you to fashion a snake out of brass. I want you to wrap it around a, a, a pole. And as I've shown you in many times gone past, you're talking about several million people here. So he's lifting this thing up on this pole. And the Lord promised if you were bitten by one of these snakes, if you would just look at the snake, lift it up on the stick, it'll be anti-venom and you'll be healed. Scripture talks about looking unto Jesus. It's what we're dealing with here. I, I, Moses does what God asks and the people are healed from their snake bites. And the snake is forgotten. 800 years later, someone bought that dude at a yard sale and started telling everybody, this is one of the gods that helped us get out of Egypt. Hezekiah was a young king trying to clean up a very dirty country. Somehow he got a hold of that snake and broke it and said, it's just a bunch of junk. He called it Nehushtan. It's just a piece of brass. Because the people were worshiping it as an idol. It's a strange story to me. Because since the garden, the snake has always been associated with, with, with evil and sin. How could something evil be medicinal? How could it heal anybody? Why would the Lord have Moses make a snake out of brass, put it on a pole, and it brought healing to these people? There, there is not one explanation in the entire Old Testament for what was going on. It makes no sense whatsoever. You're never going to understand what the author was doing until you keep reading. Why in the world would God use a snake of all things? Because it was, 
It was sin. It was a picture of sin. Even Revelation 12 talks about that old serpent, the devil. Brass. Bible. Great. Just, I don't have time to go into details. Judgment. Judgment. We went in, there was three openings in the tabernacle of Moses. First of all, there was something known as the gate that got you into the outer court. And then there was the door that got you into the holy place. And then there was the veil that got you into the holy of holies. When you came through the gate, the first thing you saw was this big brass box. It's the biggest piece of furniture in the entire tabernacle plan. It's where they did all their sacrifices. It's a place of dying. It's a type place of blood being shed. And in type, the older still needs to be the biggest thing in our lives. And um, if you remember John's description of the glorified Christ in Revelation, his feet were like fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace. Everybody who looked at that snake on the pole was healed. Why? It makes absolutely no sense until you get to John chapter 3. And in John chapter 3, a man who probably in our world today would be a Supreme Court justice. A man named Nicodemus comes secretly to Jesus by night, afraid don't want to damage your reputation, you know. Afraid of what the Jews would do to him. Maybe I'll lose my job. And uh, this is the famous place, of course, where Jesus said, you have to be born again. Ladies and gentlemen, every church preaches that. Every church preaches, you have to be born again. But every church doesn't preach what Jesus said next. He said, you have to be born of water and spirit. Boy, this is a favorite subject of mine. I've got to be careful. You go back to Genesis, and there's water and spirit before everything else. This whole thing from the beginning to the end is water and spirit. It just goes and goes and goes and goes. And it's just, this is what Jesus told Nicodemus in John 3. See, the lesson to Nicodemus doesn't end with being born again. It keeps on going. Here's John 3 and 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That's 314. Here's 315. Please remember that number, 315. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus is explaining in the New Testament that the cross is the fulfillment of that snake raised up on that pole in the Old Testament. That Moses lifted up the serpent in the desert to save the people who were dying. And Jesus was going to be lifted up in the same way. So suddenly the fog lifts and I'm hoping you realize that the serpent in the wilderness all the way back there in, <laughs> is a picture of Jesus on the cross. 
And that the serpent represents sin. I'll give you that. But how could you lift up sin? Listen to what it says to 2 Corinthians 5 and 21. He hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. Jesus became sin for us. That's what happened in that garden when he said, I don't want to drink this. It'd be like taking a 10-year-old girl and selling her into white slavery for prostitution. Taking something absolutely, completely pure and just, just burying her in a sewer. What was in that cup? My God have mercy. He's pure. What's it, what's it feel like to murder somebody? I don't know, and I don't ever want to know. But he did. What's, what's it feel like to rape some woman? I don't ever want to know what that feels like. He was tempted in all points like as we were. He, he experienced that cup. He was made sin for us. And that explains this amazing verse in Isaiah 53 and 5. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. This, is, this, this verse is just one of many, but the exactitude of this verse staggers me because many people read it and they just brush over it and don't spend time digging it out because there is a word here, transgression, and there's a word iniquity. They're not the same in the Bible. A transgression is a sin of the flesh. It's a sin that you can't hide. It's like murdering somebody or robbing a bank. You, you, it, this is between you and other parties and it's blatantly obvious what's happened. But an iniquity is a sin of the spirit. It's stuff like jealousy and envy and hatred and malice. Stuff that sometimes is just between you and your God. Nobody else has a clue you're harboring this, this root of bitterness inside of you. But notice how exact it is. He's not bruised for transgression. He's wounded for transgression. He's bruised for iniquity. A wound is when the skin is broken and blood flows obviously on top of the skin. But, but, but a bruise is when blood flows beneath the surface of the skin. Notice how exact it is. He, blood is shed outwardly for all that stuff that we've done that we can't hide anymore. But it's also been shed for that secret stuff inside of us. Those sins of the spirit that we think we kept very, very well concealed and camouflaged. Please notice the wording. He, he, it, he, it's, it's, our, it's not his, it's our transgressions. That's why he was wounded. He was bruised for our iniquities. Watch, the chastisement of our, our peace was upon him. Here's what the message says. But it was our sin that did that to him, that ripped and tore and crushed him, our sins. Watch this. He took the punishment that made us whole. <laughs> Through his bruises, we get healed. Paul one time said in Colossians, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. Again, it's technical. I don't have time to go into it, but in the Bible, there are laws and there are ordinances. They're not the same thing. The Bible said he blot out the handwriting of ordinances. Again, listen to the message. 
the slate wiped clean, that old arrest warrant <laughs> canceled and nailed to Christ's cross. I love that wording of that. I wasn't arrested yet, but the warrant was out for my arrest. He took care of that too. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I've taught you for years about context. If you have a question about a Bible verse, read 10 verses before and 10 verses after. Many times it'll solve your dilemma. So I go to 1 Corinthians 10 and verse one. Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses. It, it's, it's obvious when he was talking about, but what's not obvious is who he was talking about. Because when you read Corinthians 10 in the way it opens, it's talking about Moses and those Israelites being delivered from Egypt, right? Now we drop to 10 and 11. All these things happened unto them for examples. And they are written, watch, they are written for our, our admonition upon whom the ends of the world has come. In other words, everything that they acted out in the flesh in the Old Testament was a spirit lesson for you and I today. How can you do that? You gotta live outside of time to do that. You have to be able to take these things that happened in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and project them hundreds, even thousand years in advance because you know what's gonna happen. It's obvious he was talking about us. That's why in Acts 7 when Stephen was preaching before he was stoned. He called Israel at 738, I think, the church in the wilderness. The church in the wilderness. All these things happen in the first, examples. That, that English word is a Greek word, typos. It's where we get the word type. It, it, it's a figure, it's an image, it's a pattern. It's a symbolic anticipa anticipation. Our word prototype means first type. And it gives the idea of a pattern in advance or representing others to come. Do you get it? The author had the benefit of knowing what was going to happen in John 3. And he placed the picture in those Jewish minds centuries in advance to help Jews like Nicodemus understand what was going on when he took that snake and put it on that pole and lifted it up. Everything in the Old Testament, the strange events, the weird rules are there deliberately and part of our journey of discovery in studying the Bible, learning what they mean. Because whenever you discover something in the Bible that seems strange or unnecessary, stop, stop. You would ex expect to find what the rabbis call remez, which means, which means dig here. There's a treasure here. It's gotta be two birds, you see? Two identical birds. One has to die, and the blood of the dead bird is spilled into an earthen pot. And then the spilled blood is sponged up with this herb, this sprig of something called hyssop. And then that blood-soaked sprig of hyssop is tied to the leg of the living bird, a scarlet cord, and that bird is set free to fly wherever it chooses with that bloody soaked witness 
hanging by its leg wherever it goes. Do you get what I'm talking to you about today? You and I were the other bird. There's got to be two ideas. That's why he became flesh. To when God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Jesus came in flesh. The Bible said he became all that we were in order that we could become all that he is. Hallelujah. You've got to have two identical birds. He had to be like us. And just as the blood of that first bird was spilt on the bottom of an earthen pot, the blood of our bird, that great speckled bird, was spilled on the earth. And that blood had to be sponged up by hyssop. What in the world is hyssop? Hyssop is a medicinal herb that, 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 that sprouts around the Mediterranean region. Got beautiful purple flowers. Purple known as the royal color because it was the attire of the king. You remember the woman Livia in the book of Acts? She had a clothing store. She just sold only one color, purple, purple. Do you remember the story of Passover in Exodus 12? The blood had to be applied to the door. But what did they use? Not just some paintbrush, not just some old indiscriminate rag in their kitchen. In Exodus 12 and 22, it said, take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in that blood and put it on the lintels and the threshold of that door, making the sign of the cross all the way back then. In the break between services, Pastor John said, Pastor Hyssop was at the cross and all I remembered was the sponge, but he said, no, don't you remember what it says in John? It said they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon Hyssop and put it to his mouth. The blood has to be applied. You can't do that with hyssop. And that bloody medicine is tied to the bird with a scarlet cord. Not a red cord, a scarlet cord. I studied scarlet years ago. They found clay from a very specific place. Red, red ochre. They would take white garments and dip it once into that red that, that was created with that muddy water from that red earth. They would dip it, they would let it dry. And then they would dip it again two times. And only by dipping it twice in that could you get the color scarlet. This is not red. This is scarlet. This is why the Bible said in Isaiah 1 and 18, though your sins be a scarlet. This, this, this word scarlet is a big deal in the Bible, ladies and gentlemen, because it's, it's a double dip process. You say, what does that mean? Did you ever have any children? I did. Let me tell you what amazed me as a parent. I never taught my girls how to cuss, but boy, they learned to cuss. They could go to school and hear 10,000 great words, hear one dirty word, couldn't wait to take it out for a drive. I never taught my kids how to steal, but they were great thieves. I never taught my kids how to lie, but they were very accomplished liars. Where did that come from? It didn't come from me. It didn't come from Renee. Harry and Esther didn't teach it to him. Paul and Faith Cook didn't teach it to him. It came from someone else. An old, old, old grandpa by the name of Adam. We have got a stain of sin from Adam. 
It's hardwired. It's downloaded into your kids, man. Peter said, you received it by tradition from your elders. It's, that's the, I've never seen anybody come around an altar and say, oh God, I want you to forgive Adam for what he did. I've never ever heard that prayer, but I've heard hundreds, maybe thousands of people pray, oh God, forgive me for what I did. Because when you were born, you automatically got a stain of sin in your life. But when you dip it, with your lies and with your treachery and with God knows whatever else we all did. We're double dipped, we're double dyed sinners. Our sin is a scarlet. You study the story of the spies that went to Jericho. What a, what a sermon. I'll get in trouble for saying this on the live stream, but so what? Got saved in a whorehouse. Wow. Amazing. Here's this woman as a prostitute by the name of Rahab that hides these spies. She said this. She said, we all knew you were coming. (laughs) We had already heard about what God has done for you. We heard about them rivers and that ocean, that sea. We've already, the rumors have already reached us. This world, ladies and gentlemen, has already heard about Pentecost. They've already heard the wild and crazy stories, but when it's your rear on the line, you might start getting real, real, real spiritual and real, real necessary and thinking this is a big deal. And she says, is there any way you could save my house? I'm going to let you down out of this, out of this house of mine, which told me her house is on the wall. Do it. Do your homework. Go to YouTube, find about the walls of Jericho falling down because they all said, they all, there there, there was a famous uh, agnostic many years ago, uh, Voltaire was his name. And he, he had like 117 reasons why the Bible couldn't possibly be true. And one of them was the walls of Jericho could fall in, they could fall out, but they won't fall down. Well, guess what? When they excavated the walls of Jericho, the walls fell down. Exactly like the word says. Which tells me everything of that wall fell except one place. There's one, because this is what Joshua told her. Hang a scarlet cord outside of your window. And when we walk around that, that, that walls day after day, we're going to mark that place on the wall. Because that house is getting saved. Because of that scarlet cord that's, that, 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 that's hanging out of that window. It, I, ladies and gentlemen, I can go on and on and on and on. I, I don't have the time to tell you about the dozens of times in Exodus 25 through 40 where Moses used scarlet in the tabernacle. The curtains were blue and purple and scarlet. The ephod of the priest was blue and purple and scarlet. The veil into the Holy of Holies was blue and purple and scarlet. The, the drapes, the curtains were blue and purple and scarlet. I don't have time to talk to you about primary and secondary colors, but there's only one way you get purple. You gotta mix blue and red. And if you mix blue and red, that's where you get purple. I wish I had time to go into that, but, but I don't. So, so you have the, the blood of the cross and, and all this has to happen over running water. No, no wonder the word says, do you see what I'm saying? You got, you, you got this one bird dying and then the blood of the dead bird is, is sopped up by this hyssop and then, and then, and then it's tied that there's got to be something that ties that blood to that living bird. Don't you get it? 
What in the world was it that tied my sins, amen, to the blood of Calvary? Oh, Jesus. And it's all happening over running water. No wonder. See, the problem is you got the Baptist at, at the cross saying, oh, he needs the cross. And you got the Pentecostals at Acts chapter 2 saying, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't have anything. You need them both. You need the blood and the... Ah, Jesus. You gotta have the water and the spirit. You gotta have it. That's the message again and again and again and again. Thank God for the blood of the bird. Amen. They got attached to us. But it all happens over running water. There is a river. The streams whereof make glad the people of God. And just as that bird, it, you, you, what is this? September the 11th. You, 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 got, you got three more weeks and you guys are going to be hanging your fanny in a tree trying to get Bambi's grandpa. And I'll try to be right there with you. But what a weird thing it would be to be sitting up in a tree stand. All of a sudden this bird lands on a limb right beside of you. And he's got this red piece of yarn hanging and this bloody piece of, of, of whatever, a plant hanging on a What in the world? It's just wherever that bird chose to go. It was a witness just as you and I, wherever we go, need to be a witness to the world. I've been saved by the blood. I've been washed by the spirit. Oh, Jesus. Jesus. No wonder it says, seek him like silver. Search for him like hidden treasure. I read years ago that average of one ton of dirt is moved for every ounce of ore. No wonder Jesus said in Matthew 13, the treasure, it's hid in the field. It's hid in the field. Don't you get it? You can't just walk out in the field and say, I just want this spot right here. You've got to buy the whole field. What's it mean? There's a lot of dirt that goes with this thing. I'm not going to church. There's hypocrites. Well, where in the name of God you think you're going to find them at? You're sitting around people right now that don't care. You're sitting around with people that are backslid. You're sitting with some people right now that just might go to hell. That's not my choice. That's the Lord. But percentages are there are people that go to church and it's not going to do them any good. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, the treasure's in the field. If you want the treasure, you're going to have to be willing to put up with the dirt that goes with it. Is there dirt in this church? Absolutely. Not even God can create a perfect heaven. Jesus couldn't pick 12 good ones. If Jesus couldn't pick 12 good ones, if God can't make a perfect heaven, then who in the name of God am I? I can't possibly have a perfect church. But all I can do is open up a window and open up a door and say, oh, just come, 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 come. Spirit and the bride need to sing a duet. Come on, get in the church. Some of you went to Kentucky not long ago. See that reenactment of Noah's boat. Ark. You, ever, you know what it means to muck out the stall? That's why they put hay. Why? Because all them animals, it's all that excrement. All that exhaust. That motor keeps running 24 hours a day. And they throw fresh hay over all that manure. And it gets smashed down. And every so many months, you got to muck out the stall. And you don't do it with a shovel. You do it with a pitchfork. I've done it before. It's tough. It stinks. Mildew. 
nasty, all that, all that refuse, yuck. You slide them pork pitchforks in there and grab a big, big slab of that, that steamy, gooey, green, brown mess and you throw it out. I don't know how many animals were in Noah's Ark, but it obviously was a bunch of them. But I promise you, every now and then, they had to muck out the stalls. My message is simple. You got two choices, the stink or the storm. All right? You don't like the smell in the church? Fine. How long can you tread water? Try and do it without the church. It's not going to work. Yes, there are things that are smelly. Yes, there are things that aren't great. But I'm telling you, the option is not an option. We're going to do what the word says. Let the angels at the end figure out what's the wheat and the tares. It's not my job to send people to hell. It's my job to preach and preach. We're trying to put as good a product. We spent hours and hours yesterday. It might not mean anything to anybody, but hours, 90 degrees, putting new mulch around the bushes, putting it around the playground, tearing out stuff, replanting other stuff. Hours and hours. Young the teachers spent on the Sunday school rooms. Might, might not mean nothing, but I've taught you for years. You don't serve the bread of life out of a garbage can. You just don't do it. The building's 30 years old. The old girl's starting to look long in the tooth, but we're going to do our best to keep it painted and keep it swept and keep it clean and keep it smelling good. Why? We got a job to do. We got a job to do. We got a job. We got a job to do. And there needs to be a duet. The Holy Ghost and the church needs to sing together. Come, all you that are weary, come. So why should you seek him for silver and search for him hidden treasure? Because Colossians says, hidden, hidden in him are all, not just some, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We take these stories for granted because we have the benefit of living after these events. We need to stop and think of the reality of what it took to write that Bible, to author that word. For thousands of years, the Bible said he watches over his word to perform it. He planted these plot devices that were going to echo through history, all to explain the cross. Because I asked you to look at a a number a while ago, John 3.15. This is still Nicodemus-y because it sets the stage for this famous verse. For God so loved the world and he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Who did he say that to? He said that to Nicodemus. I never figured that out until this week. It's it's been there the whole time. I I just never figured it out. You read all the Old Testament and read it thoroughly. And you will realize that there's no explanation for the picture I'm about to show you right now. That is, in fact, the logo of the medical community around the world. It's a snake wrapped around a stick. 
to bring healing. Boy, if that didn't foreshadow the most significant event in all of human history. It took 1,500 years for Jesus to explain to a Pharisee named Nicodemus who came to see him in the middle of the night. (laughs) Look what it says in John 19 and verse 39. And there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes and about a hundred pound weight. This guy that was so afraid to protect his reputation in John 3, now after Jesus has died on a cross with his friend is begging the body of Jesus and he openly embalms the body of Jesus. He's not afraid anymore. This is John O'Neill. John O'Neill worked for the FBI. When the first World Trade Center bombing happened, they traced it back to a man named Ramsey Youssef. When they first told John O'Neill about Ramsey Youssef, he did not leave his office for three days and nights. He stayed there nonstop for three days. After three days, he was convinced that Ramsey Youssef was the most dangerous person in the world. He dedicated two years of his life and finally led a team that captured Ramsey Youssef, the bomb maker for the first World Trade Center bomb. Caught him in Pakistan before he got into Afghanistan and would have lost him forever. But in researching Ramsey Youssef, O'Neill came across the name of a guy named Osama Bin Laden. Nobody knew that name back then. O'Neill was branded as a maverick. He was marginalized in the FBI. They said he was a zealot and he was way overboard. Did absolutely everything in his power to warn people about this guy named Osama bin Laden and something known as the base or Al-Qaeda. His, they treated him so terribly, even though he was very close to retirement. John O'Neill resigned his position, his prestigious position in the FBI and ended up being the head of security at the World Trade Center and died September 11, 2001, dedicating the last breaths of his life to saying, you guys got to listen to me. You got to listen to me. I know what I'm talking about. And I've been up here for almost an hour now trying to show you how that years and years before the Lord orchestrated something with Moses and a serpent and a stick to be able to affect Nicodemus. We have an entire youth group in this church that wasn't alive on September 11th. They don't, they're looking back now. It's easy to look back. But if you were alive on that day, when I was here, and people just stopped their cars and just flooded into this church looking for a place to pray, and I compare that with 
how polarized this country is right now. And I think of Jesus who's been saying, I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming in an hour that you think not. I'm coming like a thief in the night. I'm going to gather up my jewels and I'm going to get out of here. I see things in this word that have already been fulfilled, but there are other things that haven't been. And do, do not treat this lightly. Do not take this for granted. Don't just, don't, don't just, 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 just dismiss it. This is not myth. This is not Zephyr. This is not rumor. He that shall come will come. And he will not tarry. He that went away shall so come again in like manner. Watch and pray. 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 I'm telling you, the author is still on the throne. He's the puppet master of the universe. Can't you see that that other stuff in that Bible has already come to pass? Why then would you dispel what is yet to be fulfilled? His, he, he called the shot. He called the shot and did it. How in the world could you say you're never going to break one of his bones? How 800 years before when Zachariah said he's going to ride in on the colt of an ass. How could you do that? I wish I had time to talk to you about Daniel's 70 years prophecy. On the very day, 173,440 days after the decree to go and build Jerusalem, it's there. And that's why he's screaming, oh, Jerusalem, if you just would have known what today is, you would know who I am. And while they're celebrating Passover, fixing to put Passover on a tree. Stand with me. Stand with me. In Jesus' name. Come with me around this altar. I I won't embarrass you. I I won't. Just show some solidarity here. I don't know about you, but when I watch these, these documentaries... Uh, it seems like every September 11th, they come up with a new one that I didn't hear last year. And I watch them. And it always sedates me. And I always get very, 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 very quiet. <laughs> I haven't been to my dad's grave yet. I just can't work up the courage, I guess, yet. But I was there before he was buried. Look, thousands, thousands of those gravestones around those hills up there around Holly. I don't, there, there are very few World War II veterans left still living. They've been dying an average of 5,000 a day. Very, very soon, there'll be none of them left. I remember what my daddy taught me before he left. I'm determined that he did not die in vain. And I'm going to take the lessons that he taught me and employ them in my life and do the best to be a good husband and to be a good dad and to be a good brother. Being a good preacher is way to... When I was a young preacher, all I ever wanted to do was be a good preacher. Now, I want to be a good husband. I want to be a good dad. 
I want to be a good brother. I want to be a good witness. I want to be a good example. In Jesus' name. If it's appropriate, put your hand on the shoulder of someone right now. Lord Jesus. <laughs> you, you've planned this out in advance. You, you, <laughs> how many, how many examples did you give us anyway? I don't know. How, how many illustrations, how, how many different ways did you use to try and get it across to us that you were going to the cross and that you were coming back for a church? Jesus' time itself is broken into the binaries of B.C. and A.D. At every date that we have on every periodical and anything that's got a date on it is a testament to the fact you've been here and you're coming back. Dear Jesus, please help me. Please help me to get this thing across to people. Please, please help me. What? Give me the words to say. Give me the examples to use. Help, help me somehow to live my life in such a way to mimic and to parrot and to be an example to people to help them understand. It really is that important. It really is that vital. You have authored the greatest story the world has ever known. And so much of it has already come to pass. And I'm convinced that based on what I've seen come to pass, the rest of it is just as sure as the others have been. So we make a covenant with you and with each other around this altar today, Lord. I'm here to do more than remember the World Trade Center. I'm here to remember the cross. I'm here to remember the price that you paid. And I'm here to tell you, you did not die in vain, Jesus. I get the message. I get it. And I'm going to live my life in a way that's going to make you smile. I'm going to bring pleasure to you with my life. There have been times I know you, 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 the Bible said you winked. There are times when you had to turn your head away. There are times I've done things that were so far beneath the dignity of someone that could even dare to call themselves a child of God. But that's not who's standing here right now, Lord. I know there are people more worthy than I am. I know there are people smarter than I am. I, I, I get all that, but they're not asking. We are. And I'm asking you, Lord Jesus, to hear our prayer and to hear our, hear our supplication. Dear Jesus, dear Jesus. A lot of people already forgot September 11th. And a lot of people have already forgotten Calvary. But we're going to do our best here to keep it in front of people. And not just remind them once a year, but to remind them every day of every week. As I fly through this world with that bloody sprig on my life, I was saved by the blood, washed by the Spirit. In Jesus' name, I pray for my brother and my sister right now. I do not know what the rest they're under. I do not know what has attacked their life. But I do know that your name is a strong tower. And we can run into your name. Shut the door and be safe. God. I'm not here praying money. I'm here praying protection. I'm here praying edification and lifting up. I've got somebody under the sound of my voice with anxiety and fear and despair. I'm asking you, Jesus, that perfect love needs to cast out fear like the trash that it really is. I'm asking you, Lord, that love reign in this church and in our hearts.
I'm asking you, God, to help us to be the witness and the example that you died for us to become. And I promise you that for the rest of this day, I'm not going to borrow for tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. But I promise you for the rest of this day that nothing filthy is coming out of my mouth and nothing unseemly is going to reside in my brain for very long. That does spell it. I'm going to speak words of encouragement and I'm going to be a means of edifying and lifting up and encouraging people for the rest of this day so that when it's done, we can lay our head on the pillow and say, I lived a perfect day today. I didn't offend her word or deed. In Jesus' name I pray and call it done.